Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Houdat Jedi Podcast. We are the Houdat Jedi Council. As always, Aaron, Dave, and Fredo. How are we doing, guys? Good. Hello. Doing good. Doing good. And we've got we've got a special couple special visitors in the background as well. We have Kate and Lucy, right? Yeah, yeah. They'll be listening in, eating popcorn, enjoying so, the festivities. So are the kids just running down the street then? Yeah, smoking, probably smoking and drinking or. Yeah, that's how that that's how we roll. It's like, did you ever see the TikTok video of the kids with the sparklers on Fourth of July and behind them? <clears> there's <throat> a little kid running, screaming, "Somebody gave me fire!" <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like that. That's what's happening. But yeah, probably it won't be sparklers though. Um, so, well, tonight we're gonna do a, a little watch party. Um, we haven't done a New Hope, so. Um, you'll be able to watch along with us. We'll do our own little uh, commentary track along with it. Uh, <clears throat> I thought it was kind of timely because there's uh, two things going on. One, um, Disney Plus has the um, the ILM uh, six-episode feature, which is really cool. I mentioned on the last episode, you need to watch it. Um, but then also, I also mentioned this one too, on Vice Network, they've got this um, series Icons on Earth, and they've been talking about Star Wars. They're now up to Empire Strikes Back. And the funny thing about that one is, is that they're interviewing John Dykstra, who was the head of ILM, and Marsha Lucas, who helped edit <clears throat> or did the editing for um, Star Wars. So you have the guy that Lucas fired and the girl lady that he divorced so it's like you know it's uh like i told said last but, week they they both they're both responsible for the success of star wars um in their opinion uh <clears throat> but um anyway so yeah get uh whatever your version of new hope you got and just get to a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and we'll count to three and hit play and my dog will be barking in the background and um then we will comment away so in three two one play <laughs> three two one woof bark well so bark. one of the one of the cool things uh that might people might not know is that brian de palma actually is responsible for uh the crawl because oh, apparently really? apparently the, the the original crawl um which did not have a new hope in it Everybody. Or episode four. Um, the original crawl, uh, before it was released in the theater, they said it was just, De Palma said it was awful. Actually, De Palma also said to get rid of the force. Said the force was just getting in the way of everything. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently the crawl was just kind of a mess and didn't make much sense and was way too long. And right before they, uh, they released it, um, he rewrote it for... For George, so yeah, it's interest. It's interesting looking at the crawl now, knowing what we know given Rogue One, and we did get a trailer, a new trailer for Andor, which is coming out next month. So it's gonna be interesting to see how much all of that recontextualizes just three paragraphs, which is what we got in 1977. Three short graphs. I think it's the perfect amount. It grabs your attention. It's not like something you've ever seen before, um, and but it, it doesn't like just drag on and on. So you know, uh, major uh, points scored by De Palma there for 
reworking it and making it into something iconic. Well, I'm talking about iconic. This is probably one of the most iconic shots in modern movie, you know, history. history. This is just yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of what, like other shots that are so, you know, iconic that they put you right at the start, right at the foreground of the movie. Because you know, like sometimes you'll you'll get people mentioning like maybe the opening of The Godfather, how it opens slowly, but. I mean, I'm really trying to think of other shots that just from the opposite, you're like, okay, I don't know what the heck's going on, but I'm along. <laughs> well, and here's, here's again, here's my thing. That's why Empire is such a, is, is so unsettling is because it starts in the exact opposite. You know, here we're in the middle of a battle and in Empire, you're in the middle of the Empire looking for their keys. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it's, <clears throat> it's, and then somebody riding a, a snow lizard. So it starts very slow. Um, I, th- I think that George knew that just like this was hard to top um, because like every mo- subsequent movie after this, like it, the opening just doesn't hit in the same way until we get to Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, and, then he fi- yeah. and then he finally is like, okay, let's see if we can, we can top ourselves with this one. Um, but until that point, he hadn't. And, you know, it's been lampooned, you know, space, the op- you know, the opening of Spaceballs yeah. is, is so hilarious um, because because of the riff on that. But, it's also uh, pretty, pretty, pardon me, ballsy to have the first characters that speak in your movie being two robots. Well, and it's something that, you know, we should know. You know you'll notice as we go along how little dialogue there is at parts in this movie. Like, this is, we're into the opening scene. There's a shootout between two different uniform sets of people. The only bit of dialogue we've gotten is from this golden android dude. And his, the replies have been beeps and boops from this other thing. And it's like, you know, that, you know, let's be fair. 1977 owners were not ready for this. It's also a clue that you're getting um, into the Kurosawa uh, influences mm-hmm. right off the f- bat where the you know the narrator is not the main character the narrator is these side comic relief characters yep from the hidden fortress yeah very much mm-hmm. so and i'm sorry but- i still uh, stormtrooper armor is still the coolest costume that's ever been created even as we sit here and look at darth vader stormtrooper armor is just just awesome i'm not i don't mean that in like because i own stormtrooper that's why i own stormtrooper armor is because it's so dang cool and I can't have Vader armor because I'm five nine. Um, You're too short to be Darth Vader. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I was gonna say right quick. Uh, have you ever read the original script that uh, George Lucas wrote? The original treatment that he had, where it was, you know, Anakin, Star Killer, yeah. the Star Wars and the Journal of the Wills, all that stuff. It's an interesting read because what we're getting here in episode what becomes episode four is the middle part of a whole movie that just there's no way they could have made that honestly it's just it's well just that's interesting much. because that's what they that's what they talk about in this icons on earth is that marcia lucas and um john dykstra both said that that whole idea that lucas had nine movies in mind mm-hmm. is is kind of hooey you know, Marsha, Marsha Lucas will say she, that is what she said. She said um, that she doesn't doubt that he had 
you know, ideas that there was going to be this kind of planet and there was going to be these things, but nine movies, you know, and, and Dykstra just kicks flat out says, nah, not, it's not true. So, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. Cause like I said, it's the guy who got fired and the, the ex-wife. So, um, but, I mean, uh, just to be fair, I mean, if George really meant for this to be a trilogy, a nine movie saga, they would not have blown up the Death Star at the end of this movie. Well, I think like the, he felt forced into doing that because of nah, the, the nature word. of I don't know if I'm going to have another movie made. I don't know if this is going to be successful. So, like, let me give this movie an ending. Um, but I think what you're talking about really hints at what we really know to be true about Star Wars, which is that it is always evolving and like he may not his original treatment was twice or three times the movie this one was realized they couldn't do it cut it down into pieces eventually he gets it in his head like wow this is really popular maybe now i can do nine movies you know so it's like these ideas were probably there well it also may not have been there from the very beginning it also becomes you know like the fish that you caught it gets bigger with each story you know i mean what I'm saying is, that, you know, a lot of this, <clears throat> who knows what the original ideas were and how much that has grown over the time. By the way, the escape pod falling out of the um, Star Destroyer, that was the first effect shot that um, ILM did. And it's just and, a model dropping into a basket. And I'll always enjoy the 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 noted point of that scene which is if that guy just shoots the pod the movie ends and the whole thing's <laughs> over <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and that's part and that's you know as we're watching uh leia go at Darth vader <laughs> well that's what the fun the fun thing i don't know if you've ever played the star wars drinking game but um some rules of the star wars drinking game is you have to drink anytime vader's around one of his children and neither none of them know it um or uh, when bad guys are in white and good guys are in black um mm. <clears throat> yeah which which would mean drink anytime you see a stormtrooper which would have you pretty pass much that drunk by an hour into the movie and anytime that uh obi-wan is being a detective um the formality of how um darth vader speaks in these early scenes i i will say that hayden christensen kind of had a a bad tough assignment in trying to connect this dialogue with an actual human being um and you know we can all debate how successful he ultimately was but i i think that there, there was a lot of intentionality in that like i'm going to speak in an oddly formal way with this now, sort of cadence imagine if you will if they would never gotten James Earl Jones and would have left David Prowse and we would have had that kind of Scottish <laughs> accent uh, that, think... that he was throwing around there. You're a part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away. <laughs> yeah. In, I, in I, my I belly. They would have gotten some other actor, I think, uh, at some point, yeah, because you couldn't have... To... They, so much of the role comes from the voice because, you know, the power and the presence of Darth Vader is split between his physicality, the threat that he poses physically, and the fact that he sounds like the coolest dude in the galaxy. So, so you, know, you can't separate those two. By the way, we just came out of the um, the 
you know, Vader, <laughs> it, well, the, the Star, Star Destroyer and the Rebel Blockade Runner battle. Uh, originally, in the original cut, uh, be, you know, before the release, obviously, there was the one of the cut scenes of Luke out in the fields looking up and seeing the uh, the fight. And then that's when he goes to Tashi's power station and talks to his friends. So we get the infamous Biggs scene. And again, from the icons on Earth, the, one of the editors, not Marsha Lucas, but they're looking at he was looking at this scene is like, what the heck is this? <laughs> and George is like, it's the place where, where all the kids hang out. It was kind of American graffiti, right? It's where the kids hang out. Right. They, and he's like, we don't need this. This is this is dumb. I mean, it's just like, this is awful. And so then he said, then we just have Luke's introduction be at the Jawa trade show. Um, right. Which again, By the uh, way. There's, watching these documentaries, it's like, this is why I say everybody needs, you, you can't have just a bunch of yes people. You know, mm-hmm. you have to have somebody that's going to say to you that you're going to follow with that song. No, that's that's a bad idea. Or you're you're gonna do that? That's a bad idea, because otherwise we would have had a much different movie, guys. So, yeah. and also just to consider, you know, whenever you see fans and critics try to dissect everything, you know, one of the dynamics that we always got to keep in mind is that a lot of this is done on the fly. You know, they luck into some of the great moments, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're planned and. You really can't be too. It's not that you can't be too analytical. You have to be willing to go. Okay, you know, some stuff's not going to match because it wasn't meant to match, and then something comes much later and makes it match. You go, oh my god! <laughs> and that's that's part of the beauty of Star Wars is that it's not built within. It's not like a puzzle where every piece fits. It's. Design for something else, but uh, by the way, I didn't want to get too far away without mentioning. So we saw the scene with Leia and Vader where they confront each other, and what I find interesting now, having seen Obi Wan Kenobi, she says she clearly identifies with Darth Vader is, so she knows who she is, and she clearly is aware of his style because he goes, "Only you would be so bold as to attack an Imperial Center ship." When do you think that she meets him or is aware of him? Well, isn't you know, she, is she aware of him in Kenobi now? She's not, because remember, she was on. Time... I think, I think, yeah, it's uh, she was on the uh, on the ship that he was yeah. that they were escaping on. So he had to have looked out the window and seen the big guy in black cape, and you know, um, they make no mention of it. That's the interesting part, or or the part, you know, the part where he's you know walking into that town and terrorizing people. Obi-Wan makes sure to get her down the tunnel first. So it's interesting. I mean, it makes me wonder now whether, you know, we'll see any kind of further adventures where they might bump into one another, so to speak, or, or if you'll just see him on the Senate, you know, where he's threatening a senator. <laughs> and by the way, full disclosure, that this movie starts off fast, but then gets really slow once that we get on to Tatooine. So, um, but I, you know, the, the Jawas were, I mean, this was just such a weird movie from the get-go. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think stylistically, when you're talking about how it slows down, it actually really works thematically. 
uh, because this is, uh, you know, this desert planet. It's a very slow life that they live here. The, you know, moisture farmers. It's boring. There's nothing going on. And I think, um, as I said, it really sort of ties in with the theme. So, um, you know, as, you know, as a seven-year-old, you get a little restless uh, during some of these scenes. But as an adult, you can you can appreciate some of the some of the ideas behind it. Of course, the Jawas are amazing and hilarious, and we all love them now. Suka, actually, <laughs> actually, they're jerks. You know, I had a random question for everyone, and this isn't something you have to answer right now, but maybe think about it as we go along. What is your favorite scene in this movie? Favorite scene in this movie? Hmm. Yeah, that'll be something to think about. Um, there's quite a few to pick from when I see it I'll point it out (laughs) alright you know yeah and it 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 is funny looking through you see you can see George Lucas's frustration with some of this where he had these visions of these droids and when you get to the cantina you know and it does kind of like you can see where it's like it would make you feel kind of oogie that you didn't quite get everything by the way special edition fixes i didn't mind what they did here with the stormtroopers um finding the escape Mark. pod you know moving the 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 do the backs and you know adding some stormtroopers i'm okay with all that i thought it was pretty good it's a neat it's a neat way to to, to design them you know to show that they didn't just find the escape pod. They're they're working, you know. The Empire is on their trail, and they're being methodical about things, which is sometimes, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we tend to forget because they're, quote-unquote, the Empire. But it's not like they got the answers. It's not like they're, they got a script, and they're going, okay, let's head down to the Jawas and then head to the Lars homestead. No, they are actually chasing <laughs> after these droids and doing so in a way in which Kind of like Obi Wan, you know, detective would too. <clears throat> so now we're getting to another point where um, fate steps in. We're getting close anyway. Um, if you read um, a certain point of view, where R two and and R five D four are having this conversation about, you know, R R two really needs to, well, that R five D four sacrifices himself so that r2 can go with luke and continue on this journey it's like uh it's a funny it's a funny bit of that book um but this is another one of those points where it's like um it why why not why i i guess that it's never been really talked about why did they did they choose our why why did george lucas decide to have r5d4 be bought it's like does it, it it adds stress now but at the first time you're seeing this movie, it's like, who gives a darn? You know, it's like they're pulling a car off the lot and it gets a flat tire. So they get a different car. You know, it's not that big deal. Why? So anyway, um, <clears throat> so I do agree that this is a better introduction to Luke than if we would have seen him in Toshi Station. Well, and and I know that historically it's always, whether it's Empire of Dreams or any major uh, retrospective on this movie, they always stress the fact that through the editing and the uh, rewrites and the work that they did post-filming, that 
the idea kind of came that the droids were going to take you to Luke, who was going to take you to Obi-Wan, who was going to take you to uh, <coughs> Han Solo, who was going to take you to the princess. So he was going to circle back around that way so that, you know, the, the droids are the impetus driving things, but they're connecting the next piece. And this is the next big piece. It's Luke, which the droids are stumbling onto, who will then eventually get them towards Ben. Uh, it's, an, it's a neat way. It's a neat storytelling device because... It, the story is always moving. You're not, you're not, this isn't everybody sitting around waiting for the Council of Elrond to come together, so to speak. Yeah. This is, you're going from one spot to the next, to the next, to the next. And even though not much has happened plot wise, you know, in terms of the action, we know that stuff is happening because we're seeing it happen. Um, and yeah, this is a great way to introduce Luke because there's no reason for you to feel one way or another for him, good or bad. You just, this is who he is, and this is who our uh, heroes, the droids, are now tethered to for the next little bit. You were talking earlier about how the voice of Vader had to be, uh, had had to be changed at some point. And I know that originally they thought that way about uh, C-3PO. Yeah. And uh, Anthony Daniels' performance, they ultimately decided was, was really good, and they wanted to keep it, but it's it's a great performance overall because like this might be the best c-3po movie for, for my yeah, money it, he has a lot of really funny lines and the way that he pay, plays off the others in in video game parlance they almost nerfed him in empire and jedi like they go from because he's not he's still very much the butler droid type that the other two movies portrayed him as but he's very intelligent in this he's recognizing the threat of the empire he's recognizing that the prince is involved there he's recognizing you know that he's making choices and that, that are leading the story forward and that's all you know a lot of that stuff kind of goes away from here and out uh he's going to be more of a passenger as opposed to a driver to the story but you know <clears throat> I mean, that's it's interesting. It, he, you would think that he would be a little bit more in the know. I mean, when we see the recording of Princess Leia, you know, coming up soon, that it's you know it's someone of some importance, I believe. It's like, well, I mean, and is, so he, is he is he dumb or is he playing dumb? You know, <clears throat> I don't know. I would say playing dumb because what was his second line? There'll be no escape for the princess this time. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's my, that's my thing mm -hmm. is, you know, and I don't know, we're, we're also retconning some stuff. It may have been an oops in the development of the, of the movie. Who knows? Um, but you can retcon uh, and it into could also, it, him I mean, being, him playing stupid. Um, what cracks me up is him. It could also be programmed here. It could also be programming for him yeah. where he's programmed not to betray his uh, master. So he can't mm -hmm. reveal more than what he knows. Uh, but, I mean, to your point, Aaron, about Anthony Daniels and his performance, his is, I mean, we made we made mention of Darth Vader and James Earl Jones. There's a lot of great performances in these movies where it's a puppet or it's an actor in a suit. And a lot, 90% of the performance is coming between the voice actor, the voice acting, and the physical performance. It's not just... It's two, or sometimes it's two different people or sometimes it's one person doing it two different ways. 
because I believe some of his lines may have been redubbed or whatnot later on. But, you know, you're not seeing a mouth move. You're not seeing uh, his eyes don't blink. But you're getting a full performance from Anthony Daniels here. You know, and this this uh, Leia's message, like I said, it hits differently now that we've seen Kenobi. Because especially that very last scene where he's saying, you know, basically we can't act like we know each other. And so she's going, General Kenobi, you served my father in the Clone Wars. You know, I have no idea who you are. Now we need your help because I'm so I'm told um, it hits it hits differently now. It's also like um, it sort of underscores that there are no coincidences. Like it's it seems odd that he would get these droids, right? But because um, of all the places in all the worlds that the droids would end up, they'd end up with Luke. But it's like, well, no, that it's natural that it ended up with him because he's, you know, he lives a few blocks away from Obi-Wan basically because Obi-Wan's been watching out for him all this time. And I think like that was one of the smarter things that they did in Revenge of the Sith to sort of set that up. And then they paid that off further in, in Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it was, um, it was really to, good to see. To steal a line from another movie, they used the force. That's not how the force works. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's smart because I mean, also, it's bringing stuff back <clears throat> together that we know there's a connection between these droids, Obi Wan, Princess Leia, and Luke, and, and uh, Uncle Owen and Abru. We know there's a connection I, between all these characters, but I, you know, when you saw this initially, you didn't know anything about that. That's what I was just gonna say is that this scene right here, the the meal scene with the blue milk and everything this hits a lot differently. I've said it before in our podcast, this hits a lot harder than after seeing Kenobi, like, you know, Owen and Baru shooting looks at each other. And, you know, you knew something was up when you first saw it. It's like, they, they know something that we don't know. And now it's, um, like I said, it's, it's even more powerful now. So, well, I mean, I so will... again, hats off to the people who, what, what Kenobi what it ended up doing it 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 made this movie better a lot of moments I, you know better i love the looks that Baru is giving owen particularly now that we know the kind of character that Baru is from obi-wan kenobi how she's far more uh willing to tackle the problems head on as opposed to owen trying to hide them you know she keeps giving him glances you catch it like by in the background these she's looking at luke and then looking at owen like Dude, just tell him. He needs <laughs> to know. And Owen keeps trying to put it off. And like again, like I we and this is another thing we covered with the Obi-Wan uh talk, but it's it just they come off as more human now. Yeah. And more relatable. Um, whereas before it's just like, gosh, these these are a couple of real sticks in the mud here. Like, why are they so hard on this kid? Yeah, Uncle Owen's a jerk. <laughs> and now it's like well goodness you really begin to see them in a little bit different light now <clears throat> I mean like stuff like this like he has too much of his father in him and it's like that's what I'm afraid of and you're like yeah they would know they would know and, and, and again in Kenobi they put that line in like you did Anakin you know exactly he, you know, that, so Owen is 
well aware of, you know, what went down. Um, probably one of the most iconic movie moments ever. Anybody talks about it, they always talk about the twin sunset. And, you know, it's... Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Williams. <laughs> oh, now we got to do this with Danny Elfman. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's, it is. It's a gorgeous shot. Um, do you think that in some ways, some parts of Star Wars have become too beholden to that shot? Because you saw it repeated at the end of Revenge of the Sith. And then you saw it repeated at the right. end of The Rise of Skywalker. So let me, let, me, let, me answer that. let me answer that in a really weird anecdote. So when I was in undergrad, um, I was a percussion major. Um, we, every now and again, as, as a percussion ensemble, we would do an improv instead of, we would just make up our own music. And there was one time it was at dress rehearsal, we were doing our improv and it was awesome. Everybody in the room was like, holy crap, that was, we we're just over the moon about it. So at the concert that night, we tried to recreate it and it, it fell flat. It fell flat. It's, it's, again, it's so, I, I think I agree with you what you're saying there. It's like, they had this thing, they were like, and everybody went, oh, that is so awesome. Now it's like, hey, we got to have our, tw you know, twin sons, or we got to have the cantina, or we've got to, and, and then it becomes, all right, well, here, here's their thing. So, yeah, I, instead of letting things happen because the story, that, that, that was meaningful as part of the story because Luke is on, you know, He's in that conflict of, you know, I'm stuck here and I want better, bigger things. So it makes sense. But then it, it gets forced in other movies. Huh? I said the word now. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I think that kind of goes to the point is the moment hits so well in this movie because it's all about Luke looking towards the horizon. It's the, the, the thing that Yoda challenges him on in Empire when he says, this is what you've been doing all your life. You've been looking away at the distance, at the future, never minding where you were and what you were doing. So it, it connect, because it also connects with who he is in this moment. He's a young man, unsure of his place in the galaxy, unsure of what he wants to do, not really happy where he is at in life. And there's a universal element to that, that all teenagers as they come into their adulthood and face. Uh, so it, that's why it connects so well. But then, and then kind of forcing it again at the end of Revenge of the Sith was kind of like, okay, it's a nice nod. But then they put it back again to uh, Rise of Skywalker, and I kind of went like, okay, every time you go back to that shot, it almost like, it becomes kind of like, 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 the, like the James Bond tropes where you have to go to, okay, the opening uh, action beat, the scene with Q, the toys, you know, you know, it's a checklist, and you don't want to do that for Star Wars. Well, and now we're talking about like sort of repeating legends, and I think like that's a really good um, dovetail into uh, Joseph Campbell, um, which is a huge influence um, for these movies and for George. And um, I don't know, have you guys read uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces? Have parts read of it. it. I just yeah, um, yeah, it's parts of it, but yeah, I mean, uh, I'm aware of the monomyth and how it connects yeah. and. Same. the cycle of the story but yeah mm -hmm. i haven't read it in quite a while uh, it's kind of i don't know is required reading or almost required reading if you're just like a huge fan of this stuff um because you'll you'll just see so many repeating um 
ideas that that just get recycled over and over and over in all of our modern storytelling and um and, the, and star wars isn't immune to that but it's it's very very good at it um and i think like george sort of understood those myths in a, in a way that a lot of storytellers don't um understood where they come from and what they ultimately mean the philosophy behind them uh, why do you even tell this kind of story in the first place and it's like well people will connect with it um and i you know it's i i for whatever reason um when you were just talking uh a few minutes ago Aaron, i i you were talking about oh they're repeating this stuff it made me think of last week when you mentioned uh, bottle shock and mm -hmm. how like the that's how the movie ends and he's like well we've done it we we won the award we did we did it and he's like yep and now we got to do it again yeah <laughs> and that's ultimately where we ended up at the end of this like with this huge phenomenon this amazing story and um you know all the success that they had okay well now we got to do it again but we got to do a little bit better we got to do a little bit differently and we got to see if we can uh continue to connect with people in this way um which is really what is at the heart of what campbell joseph campbell was talking about in the first place sorry this moment here hits harder too when he says when luke mentions the name obi-wan that's when obi-wan knows all right now it's on mm -hmm. it's it's is like it a, a door has opened and now i've you know now i can make my play um but again, in 77, nobody knew that. I mean, that, that's what's, it's, again, it's, it's so cool how they've had some of these just little reactions now are just like, you know, now you know what's exactly in their head. Yeah, and it's also interesting because now that we've seen Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm looking at it when he says, you know, he clearly recognizes Ben because he's met him, but it makes me wonder if that was the first, last, and only time they've talked to him up until this moment. You know, I wonder if there's any more interactions between Ben and Luke or his uncle just kind of kept kept them at distance still just because of uh, his fear of <laughs> of uh, Luke chasing Ben down, you know, to some wild, foolish adventure. But, yeah, no, it's a it's it's a little it's a wonderful moment that now you recontextualize all the other elements when he's talking about who he is and this scene coming up in the in Ben's homestead, uh, Ben's uh, place where he starts talking about the, giving you the background. I, I think, Dave, I think this is my favorite scene. It, it's it's always just kind of, uh, it. it's very slow, but it's always been one that is, I mean, it's where you first see a lightsaber, you know, you hear about the Force and you hear about Jedi it, and the music is awesome. I think this is probably my favorite scene it's a four or five minute info dump done perfectly yeah. when you look at it from the standpoint of the point of this scene and yeah this here's story, all the crap you need to know right now exactly but it does it so effectively <clears throat> now i mean let's be fair sir alec guinness is giving you the information you're not going to get a better teacher to give you a ton of information in one go than him but at the same time it's the fact that he's weaving these tales kind of like a David was saying about Joseph Campbell, he's wrapping up these myths and these legends, the Clone Wars, Jedi Knights, lightsabers, and he's 
doing it in such a perfect way so that you're caught up into it. By the way, fun fun fact is that uh, they had to do a reshoot on Revenge of the Sith to have Obi-Wan go pick up Anakin's lightsaber because otherwise it's like, how the heck did he get it? Um, <laughs> so that's kind of funny. That would have missed that one, yeah. But this is the this is the call to action, it right? Yep. The yep. call of the hero. He's going to go out on his adventure. Um, and again, and initially he rejects it and he has to. Yeah. Um, because it's just like, well, I can't, I just can't do it. And, um, but yeah, the world building here, um, this sparked people's imaginations back in the time. Like if you didn't grow up with this, it was like, well, it's world building for us. It's also world building for Luke. Luke's getting, Luke's having the same reaction that, you know, Mm. the rest of us are, he hasn't heard of all this junk before either. So but I can tell you the playground arguments that went on over some of this stuff, you know, it's, you know, the Clone Wars, what were those all about? Well, I, I, I know because I read in this magazine, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, um, and we all got caught up in it uh, yeah, because, along with Luke. Cause one of the smart, I mean, one of the smart things that, uh, George and his co-creators did was they gave you just enough information. I mean, they don't tell you what the Clone Wars is. You have no idea what it refers to, who fought it, who won, who lost. You have none of that information here because it doesn't matter. It's a previous conflict in which Obi-Wan and Darth Vader and the Jedi Knights were all involved with long ago, and now that's done. That's over. This, that's not. We're not fighting that story. We're talking about this story. But it helps to contextualize that this is that lived-in universe that we go on about that we're living in it could tell you know this tells you no this isn't just all window dressing it's all serving the idea that there's been history so my head canon when the message is being played right there and she says you know the plans are stored in this r2 unit and and obi-wan shoots his eyes over to r2 my head cannon says he just that's when he recognizes, oh crap, this is Anakin's droid. Because R2 was every R two is everywhere. So, you know, and again, this is all retconning, this is all just uh <clears throat> you know, my head cannon, but eh, it, it works for me. I mean, remember in Revenge of the Sith, Obi Wan is making jokes, loose wire jokes about R two. Yeah. To the point that Anakin's like, Hey, he's trying. So he knows who R two D two is. It's wild. And again, my wife brought this up. It's like when you when you watch this, it's like you also think about the actors involved and how much Alec Guinness hated this stuff. <laughs> Hate, like, hated it enough to do three movies. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, uh, you know, I'm sure it was a nice uh, retirement bonus for him. But uh... Well, that's just it. There was a lot because he's part of a generation of uh, English actors who you know, bombed through London in the 60s and, you know, meaning they just partied and were awesome in the London theater scene. And they all came to America and they all acted in great epics. You know, him, uh, Laurence Olivier, and uh, what's his name, Richard Harris, you know, actors on that level. But that because of the system in which they worked, they didn't make a lot of money. Weirdly enough, you know, it's the guy who's walking in right now who probably had made the most money Peter Cushing from his Hammer Horror Time days. 
because you know they look it's low budget whatever but you're getting paid up front whereas a lot of these guys that acted in these big epics and oscar winning films but they didn't really have a lot of to show for it so that's how you end up with uh sir lawrence olivier and clash of the titans and you know sir alec guinness in star wars so one of the things that has never quite been uh, explained is why, and it, if you've read the novelization of uh, Star Wars, um, it's really cool because you get inside. Vader wants to kill Tarkin, just just wants to just wants him dead, um, but it's never quite explained why Vader is second in command to Tarkin. When in every other instance, he is the Emperor's right-hand buddy. You know, that is... So, who knows? Let's speculate. Maybe Andor will give us a little bit of that. I hope they do. I mean, we've seen uh, bits of uh, Tarkin in Clone Wars, and in Rebels, and obviously in Rogue One. So we know he's a shrewd manipulator and operator. We know that he knows how to land on the good graces of the Emperor, which is what keeps him in, you know, in charge and in power. But yeah, it's interesting that the dynamic here is Peter, Cruz, you know, Tarkin's in charge and Vader's just to decide just to choke and threaten and kind of go on a wild goose chase if he needs to. By the was, way, before, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to dovetail off that briefly. It was just like when I was a kid, like, I don't think I really noticed that until later on either. Mm-hmm. Like that, that Vader was always like the big bad and he's scary. Oh my gosh. Um, it was, it was maybe a decade into my fandom before it was sort of like, huh, he's really getting bossed around a lot in that first movie, isn't he? You know? And, uh, well, especially, so it it, I, would agree. I think it hit me after empire. After mm-hmm. Empire, you know, of course, yeah, Tarkin is gone, but, you know, um, but yeah. Yeah, no, by the way, I was going to say uh, that, uh, you know, I saw an interview with Peter Cushing, like a video of an old interview, and they, he was laughing because one of the funny things about it, about him is that he's doing all those scenes in his slippers. In his slippers, yeah. <laughs> yeah because, because, you know, hey, they never, they never shot, most of the shots are from the waist up, so. And Fredo, comfortable. I'll, I'll, never, I'll never see this scene the same again. I mean, you're, yep. you're, I think you're, again, that's kind of your head canon, but I'm sold on it that uh, the reason why the Lars Homestead gets blowed up is uh, because they put up a fight. Otherwise, they, otherwise the Empire would have walked in. They would have looked around. They would have saw, they wouldn't have seen anything. I mean, I mean, yeah, they, of course, of course, you know, Luke's whole thing of, you know, if they trace the, the droids to the Jawas and they'll find out who they sold them to. It's like, did the Jawas keep those kinds of records? You know, I don't know. Um, but I don't know. I like, I like your explanation here. So, well, I mean, in terms of, cause I mean, it makes sense. Yes. The Jawas would have told under pain of torture and death who they sold them to. Hey, it's the Lars homestead over there. But I was, but I did like the moment that I saw the reaction by Owen and Baru to the threat of um, the third sister coming in, you know, again for Luke, their reaction was, oh, we knew this what day was coming, let's get ready. So if the Empire's turning up with a whole slew of, of like, division of stormtroopers, they're going to think they're there for Luke. They're not going to think, oh, they're here for the droids. So that would lead them to a shootout. And, 
you know, we know, you know, the Empire's attitude is, oh, you put up a bit of a fight. Okay, you got to go. So I also have now some rhyming with this torture bot and, mm -hmm. and Leia and, uh, and that similar turn in Obi-Wan Kenobi, which, again, we like our rhyming in Star Wars. Um, but yeah, yeah here's... Think... Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm trying to think, you know, how many people have we seen Darth Vader torture? It's a lot. It's it's getting up there. Like we definitely see him torture Leia, definitely Han, definitely Obi Wan. You know, the, there's my... a running list. So okay, so this this one right here where Obi Wan's you know talking to Luke and um, about you know now said hey you would you know the droids would be in the hand of the Empire you'd be dead. There's this there's a meme that went around. It's like you know you know learn the ways of the Force, Luke and. Luke says, no, I, I got to stay here. And then Obi-Wan talks into his sleeve, calling the airstrike. And he says, what? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Obi-Wan <laughs> killing off the Lars family so that he can start his journey. Um, special edition ad here, most Eisley? No. Uh, good, <laughs> good idea, bad execution, I think in in some respects uh the first opening shot of them going into the city is bad this little shot there of the city is okay now it looks like you're in a video game um you know the ronto knocking off some jawas you know okay funny har har again hey, I, I get it the special editions were r d for you know the prequels but 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 you, but you know honestly this is the difference in the original cut of Star Wars, it's a very lean movie. It's just, it's bam, bam, you know, one moment to the next, leading you to the next, leading you to the next. That's why moments like that with the uh, Ronto, you know, kind of stick out. Not because of the effect difference, because we know that there's a lot of effects cleanups, like uh, when we see uh, the Millennium Falcon take off different shot. That doesn't stick out because it's fine. We know what we're seeing. That one does stick out a bit because it's incongruous. It doesn't fit the rhyming or the the mode, the, the rhythm. That the, exactly. Thank you. The rhythm. The pacing. The, yeah. It feels like it feels it, it'll feel more like an episode one joke. <laughs> By the way, that was on the other day, and uh, I got to the spot where Jar Jar steps in Ronto poo or whatever, and I just I literally was. Like, Ugh. And I went, well, wow, that was a that was a natural reaction to that part because I was enjoying the movie up until then. Um, we got we just uh, skipped over the Obi Wan mind trick, which yeah. uh, has given all of us uh, endless jokes uh, our entire <clears throat> lives, which uh, we thank him for. And now we get the cantina. Which, how many times have you heard something compared to the cantina scene in Star Wars? I gotta how tell many... you. When you talk about favorite favorite scenes, I don't think this one made me go as a kid. I mean, it was like whatever. I mean, okay. I'm gonna. It, it was. I, I, of course, I hadn't been watching movies for you know twenty some years or whatever, and to see this would have been a shock. Yes, but um, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't make me go over the moon. I, I try to remember my original reaction because, like, um, obviously I saw this movie for the first time when I was very young, and I can only recall 
particular scenes. I the 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 opening sequences really jumped out at me. The droids in the desert, those sorts of images are seared into my brain. Um, yeah, I'm with you. The cantina didn't didn't really do well, a I lot. Also, for I me. also think about you know what what are the what are the scenes that I recreated with my toys, and mm-hmm. the cantina wasn't one of them. You know, I wasn't uh, so, and I, I'm not. I'm just saying that I'm different from all the people who are like like J.J. Abrams are like you got to have a cantina scene. It's like no, you don't. But whatever. <laughs> um, but what's but what's interesting is because I've seen like in other movies, not even like Star Wars related or space related, but you'll see a moment go, oh, that's the cantina scene from Star Wars in this movie. Uh, like I'm thinking, like there's a scene in Hellboy Two. There's uh, Oh, what's the other movie? There's a number of different movies, but they they obviously make reference to this is our version of that cantina scene where you step and you see all these wild and freaky and outlandish characters, and you're like, I guess that became a, a touchstone for a lot of filmmakers to, okay, a, a room or a place where you've clearly stepped out of your boundaries, and it might be dangerous, but it's amazing to look at. You know what's what's um. An, an interesting thing what i'm thinking about right now is the difference between the way the cantina is now and the way this same cantina is in the mandalorian where mm-hmm. it's gone from like the popular place to you know joe's corner bar that only two people go to mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's it's a i mean obviously diff, different tattooing different dynamic we we saw in the mandalorian how you know, you know, places have changed after the end of the Empire. <laughs> but by the way, I don't want to let us get to pass away. That's a cool moment where you almost see old Alec Guinness kind of come back into the foreground. Because so far he's been the kindly old wizard, the kind master, kind of exposition and being you know, fatherly. That's the gunslinger aspect of Obi-Wan Kenobi that came up right there when he's like, oh, no, no, he's not worth anything to you. Come talk to me. Come talk to me. And you get an arm with blood on the ground, which still is like, ah, why? You know, you, you, she, like that should have cauterized. I, I don't get it. Nerd, nerd. <laughs> my my favorite, one of my favorite robot chicken moments is uh, this guy, this lawyer doing a a commercial. Is like, have you been mutilated by a Jedi? <laughs> and it shows Ponda Baba with one arm, and then it shows uh, the Wampa with one arm. Is like, you know. Sid got me five thousand um, dollars. You know also... what the cantina does for me personally is it makes me think of from a certain point of view the book you'd already previously mentioned um, because I think there's like a half dozen if yeah. not more stories from the cantina and it's like tales from the cantina. Well, that, kind no, of I've thing. got that book, Tales yeah. from the Cantina. Yeah, it's you know, and I just think like it has inspired so many people's imaginations that I don't want to poo-poo that. Like that's cool. That's really really yeah. really cool. It's just like for us as, you know, George Lucas though. I will say George Lucas uh one of the, if I would have been in his room it, when he's making episode three and he's like, and we're going to put Chewbacca on the Wookiee planet, I would say, no, don't do it. Because now in episode four, the the minute that Chewbacca sees Obi-Wan throwing a lightsaber around, then that, that, Chewbacca knows something. 
and and but he plays dumb for kind of the rest of the the trilogy so it's like they should have they should have left chewbacca out of especially having yoda say goodbye chewbacca um ugh. anyway uh, i should have left chewbacca out of episode three um mm-hmm. but it's a wonderful by the way this is a wonderful introduction to han solo in terms of his character and i don't just mean right now where he's introduced himself being all cocky overselling himself to obi-wan about it the speed of the millennium falcon i'm sorry falcon uh, and now right here in the Greedo scene, which I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. turn it up. We're going to hear if there's McClunky in it. So keep on going. Okay. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a good way to show his character. I mean, you, you've barely gotten three minutes with him. And in a way, you know, everything you need to know about him at this point in his life, who he is, what he does, what he's all about. You know, I, again, we're, we've talked about it before. Um, another special edition change. I, as a kid, I was not traumatized by the fact that Han Solo shot first. Mm-hmm. It made me want to be Han Solo, but it didn't make me want to shoot people. Um, you can make the argument that he was in self-defense. So, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. McClunky. Oh, it's in. Okay. <laughs> McClunky. <sighs> But I think a, I, mean, I need a letter us, writing campaign. We take McClunky out of there. Well, I will. I still say it doesn't need it. You know, the whole Greedo shooting first, same time, whatever. I mean, same time makes it seem like okay, they're both quick draws and Han drew faster. But the idea that you know he just shot him in cold blood, yeah, that's his character. He's out for number one. That's his journey in this movie. He's going to go from somebody who's self-centered, only interested in himself to looking and caring and being about other people. And look, I'll, I will go to the mat for people who hate that change because of the mere fact that Greedo has a gun pointed at his face. Right. It's self-defense at that point. Right. I, I mean, like, oh, I, he outsmarted him. Okay, too bad. Um, and, it, and it Han doesn't Sol- bother me. And Han Solo is that Western gunslinger who's mm-hmm. going to shoot first, ask questions later. I mean, that's that's I knew that was the the archetype, you know, as like as a, you know, as a kid. It would, yeah. I mean, he's literally dressed like Gary Cooper out of High Noon. <laughs> he's only missing the hat. Yep. So which is which is part of the uh, smorgasbord of 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 stuff that George Lucas and his creators threw into this movie. I mean, we're talking John Ford and Westerns. We're talking Kurosawa samurai epics. We're talking, you know, you know, traditional British actors of like great prestige and renown. And all of that's getting mixed into this blender to make this movie. So here, Some, okay. I'm sorry, real, real quick. Cause, cause Jabba is here. And I want to say, here's my, Here's my only thing with this is that their conversation. First of all, they've, they've done this a couple times now and it looks a heck of a lot better now than it did when the special editions came out. That's not my problem with it. My problem with it is it's the exact same conversation that he has with Greedo, yep. like almost line for line. The pacing. And, it, so it's like, yeah. So it's like, it slows why the movie down? So the only reason that you put it in the special edition is because you could. Mm-hmm. And so, Anyway, maybe you needed Marshall. I'm sorry, I stepped on you there, but 
I'm fine. I'm ultimately fine with the scene just because I kind of like him stepping on his tail and you get a little Boba Fett and it's, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, again, anybody that says it slows the movie down there is absolutely right. It slows the movie down. It's repeated dialogue. You don't really need it. Um, totally get that. What I was going to say, though, is like the scene preceding this, uh, which came from the original movie, when they're out selling the speeder, some of the characters in that alleyway are, are the people that like interested me as, when I was younger. It's like, who's that look that dude? That guy's crazy looking, you know, like more even more so than the cantina, um, which I think was the, the, the scene that was supposed to affect me in that way. But that the alleyway with the there were a bunch of windows in that, that alley. You're right. That Boba Fett ad actually looks really good in that scene. Mm-hmm. It looks like he was shot on in at the same time as everybody else. So Mm-hmm. And by the way, did you guys ever notice that there's an actual 94 on the wall there? Yep. <laughs> I'm only, that, it was only yeah, six, not about best, six seven 94. months ago that I realized that there was a 94 sign outside of Docking Bay 94. By the way, okay, I want to ask you this. Right now, Luke just called the Millennium Falcon a piece of junk. Mm-hmm. And I just always go like, how are we supposed to judge that? that I was just going to say the same thing. I never thought it looked like a piece of junk. I thought it yeah, was like, the most awesome thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a spaceship. We've seen different kinds of spaceship. I don't know if this is a good model, a bad model, a new model. I mean, it's it just is. So I, I guess we're supposed to get it from his context that it's not the nastiest, lookest, fanciest looking one. But still, it's like he calls it a piece of junk. I'm like, but okay, if you say so. It's interesting. Um, George Lucas um, actually, in I think it was in the ILM thing, explains why the rebel ships always outrun the imperial ships. Is because mm-hmm. the rebel ships are basically like the kids with their hot rods. They're souping things up. They're, you know, they're tinkering with things. Whereas the Empire is, um, you know, taking things straight off the factory line, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. It's just kind of an interesting. I mean. And especially they're, coming off the heels of American Graffiti. I mean, so. In many ways, they're the moonshine runners of the old 1910s. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whereas the other guys just got the standard Model Ts. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, if you're trying, if you're going to have to run from the cops, make sure you got something that's faster than what the cops got. By the way, I got some moves. Uh, I'll, uh, we'll outrun them. Yeah. Coming <laughs> he's, up. He's moving, he's moving slightly to the left. <laughs> he's sort of drifting slightly slowly over in this direction yeah um but you know the look of the falcon yeah it captured everybody's imagination we all loved it but i think part of the reason was what you were talking about earlier which is that this universe feels lived in and i know that a lot of people complained about the look of the prequels because of that everything was too new and shiny looking um everything here looked more lived in and I, I, there's probably a happy medium somewhere uh, between those two extremes because the Falcon does look a little beat up. Um, but we didn't care. <laughs> it looked like the greatest thing ever, like you said. Uh, but I'll say, and one thing that I really appreciate about what they've done with Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett is they've stayed true to the look in the, in the original trilogy. They've tried to match that lived-in look. Whether it's... Uh, the racer crest or the Naboo starfighter that uh, Dan is now floating around in or the environments they're in. It looks like this is the same universe as these movies. 
and here's Carrie Fisher throwing off a English accent to laugh at Peter Cushing. Yeah, but it's it such good dynamic between her and Peter Cushing in this scene, though. I mean, for a 19-year-old actress to stand toe-to-toe like that with Peter Cushing, that's that's impressive. I mean, and she did. She held her own. It was That's the other thing. When you watch the casting, imagine this with... Um, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, or what's her name from Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, you know, Cindy Lewis. I think you, that was her name. You can't... It's like... When you talk about it was destined to be this or, or kurt russell as or christopher walken as you know han, han solo. solo it's like wow i mean one mm-hmm. little change and it it's it becomes gary sharon with van halen you know it's it's not <laughs> uh. but what i and i do love that you know and you see in their acting and in their the way that they're going at one another it's a chess game for the both of them it's a chess game that they probably have either played with others like them or even maybe against one another in the past because uh, she's trying to talk him off. You know, he threatens Alderaan. She gives him something. And then when she finds out that it's not true, that they're still going to blow up Alderaan, it's like, okay, that you've lost the game. But it speaks to both of their roles and the dynamics that they know each other with, which, again, hints at further stories behind them. So I'm... Um jumping the gun here a little bit first of all well first of all i love dave you sent the meme or somebody it's like in andor they actually put railings on a on a walkway and you know (laughs) we don't have railings with the death star gunners and everything um no but no i'll I'll talk about when we get there because this is kind of a cool scene this is when again you get a little bit into the force where obi-wan can sense what happened um but i thought family guy actually had a really good point when you know luke here says to han in a little bit you don't believe in the force do you and you know in the family guy episode peter says oh you mean that thing you just learned about three hours ago mm-hmm. it's, it's like luke becomes luke jumps straight into the cult like you know both feet first into the deep end so but it's also i mean it's also denoting his central role in the story because the other thing that you know gets always quoted again from those family guy movies is uh, when he's like mourning the death of obi-wan and meanwhile leia's like you know i just lost my whole planet my family's gone but yeah yeah let's take a moment to think about you missing the, the old dude you barely know just got to know <laughs> yeah. right now yeah let me yeah I mean, let me put a blanket around your shoulders poor luke poor poor luke yeah mm-hmm. it's it is pretty funny um but you know but again like there wasn't a lot I mean, the planet thing always was there from the very beginning, right? But uh, her relationship with Obi-Wan has been retconned in. So um, you can kind of understand, like, he had this personal loss. She can relate to it. But, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you would think that she would be feeling it even more so because <laughs> she knows him in a way that even Luke doesn't. Yeah. But that's just it. It's 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 a lot of the dynamics of writing a story in 1977, and then everything else coming around to fill in the gaps. I really like in this movie because we can all relate to it. The older, cooler guy who keeps giving you crap. 
And especially mm -hmm. when a, then a girl comes in between you, you know, it's like and you, there's that competition. I, I love the friction between Han and Luke in this entire movie. Um, well, uh, and I really kind of love the, the dynamic right now between Han and Ben, where it's like Han's trying to convince Luke, no, all this is crap. This, this doesn't matter. This isn't real. And Ben's just sitting there going like, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then he's like, okay, let's try to do this and do it. And then puts the helmet on him. And it's, uh, it's what it's gonna be. A, the best, it's the, the best mm -hmm. thing that Kasdan and JJ Abrams did in the force awakens was to have Han confirm everything about the force and the Jedi and the Sith. That was just, yeah. that was brilliant writing at that moment because, you know, because of basically the scene that we're watching here, you know, I mean, obviously Han, sees what happens you know in empire and then hears about what happens in empire and jedi and you know so but to have him be the one to confirm it that was just brilliant writing on their part yeah okay. so full full 180 from this where he's just the skeptic and doesn't buy into anything and is looking out for number one only and all that good all that good stuff and I love this little moment where they go, hey, yeah, we went to the rebel base that the princess told us about. Yeah, she played. And you can see, could, you know, I love Tarkin's reaction because it's the, she got one over me. Darn it. No, my favorite part is when Vader says something and then gestures after it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's when it's like, couldn't you have dubbed in the voice a little bit better? But, I mean, they were, they were scrambling at the end. They're mm -hmm, scrambling mm -hmm. at the end. I mean, it's huge. It's like. This 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 movie had no business being as good as it was, and as well received as it was with all the stuff that was going on. You got to watch if you haven't watched the ILM stuff. Oh my gosh! Um, yep, free plug. That, well, and as you said, it's you know we've said a lot. They were having to invent stuff because not none of this existed when they were working it, and they didn't even know if it would work, how it would come off, if it would look cheesy, if it would look cool, and it would be a lot. It was a lot of effort to make all this seem seamless at the last minute. But the fact that it did as well as it did, it's a testament to their craft and to their talents because, geez, there's a hundred little uh, stumbling blocks along their path and they managed to avoid all of them. What What is the uh, what is the cooler ship, a TIE fighter or an X-Wing? X-Wing. I think TIE well, fighter. I liked well, the, the TIE fighter when I was a kid, you know. TIE fighter was cool. No, I'm sorry. Uh, actually, I think somebody, some some engineer, built a model of an X-wing and a computer model, and a computer system realized it's not that aerodynamic. <laughs> but I still don't care. It doesn't matter. It's it's space. So it doesn't need to be aerodynamic. Yeah, but when it comes back into like land or whatever, and hey, that's no moon. And is actually, this the very what was first? it? So, and I I hate it when I, I hate it when people put science in my Star Wars. But when like in uh, Force Awakens, when Poe does this big like loop, and like somebody said, yeah, he, he the G forces should have killed him. It's like <laughs> stop it, <laughs> just just stop it. Um, but by the way, was that our very first? I have a very bad feeling about this. It is. It is. Yeah. Yep. Isn't that funny? Some of these some of these things that. They're just one-offs, you know, but I've got a bad feeling about this. That, you know, obviously, that then goes into every movie, but uh, that's no moon. It's a space station. That became 
you know, what you said when something was larger than life, you know, is used in the movie Twister, you know, it's, but again, it's just one, one line. Mm-hmm. And we're at the point in the movie where I had to switch the LP because I had the, the double record set of, it was the audio of the movie. That's, I mean, I, I've probably listened to the movie far more times than I've seen it. I mean, because we just had, like I said, two LPs, and this was where you had to switch records. Um, yeah, by the way, I love that little moment where the Falcon's getting coming into land, and then, you know, the way that the brass music is just kicks up and the theme's just blasting away. Hey, yeah, hey, hey, Princess Leia might still be useful. Maybe let's not kill her. Yeah, and uh, again, this is sort of goes back to the we're going to track the ship, um, which was a little trick that he picked up in Obi-Wan. Isn't we're it, going to track the ship. Isn't it convenient that the Falcon was brought into the uh, hangar that's closest to where Vader and Tarkin were? Because as big as the Death Star is, if he was on the other side of the Death Star, that's like going from, you know, Louisiana to you know florida wouldn't it i mean yeah, now, i hate it when now, people put science in my star wars but you know anyway um no i'm just i'm just laughing because now i'm just thinking about uh uh mel you know mel brooks running in space well it's like if i didn't run the movie if i walked the movie would be over yeah. all right so like um you know we talked about the retconning and how obi-wan has improved things a lot uh for me that line where vader's like a presence i've not felt uh, you know like do you not know who that is first of all and if you do know who that is why haven't you lost your temper and you're like cutting literally cutting through the falcon with your lightsaber at that point right or just using the force to rip it apart maybe he's been going to therapy dave maybe he's <laughs> learned to control some the the smuggling hatches here i always thought was the coolest thing as a kid and we really never see them again until solo i suppose that's where they put the coaxium um well no because there aren't they also no no they're not in oh uh, the in force awakens they're in there that's not yep. they're the bigger ship right well but that's not the they're they're not hiding in the uh hatches they're actually right. f- fixing something but mm-hmm. well they hide when uh when uh, han and uh, chewie come on board that's right that's right yeah Oh, uh, so dumb stormtroopers, you know, you yeah. hear a blaster fire up the, the ramp and you don't even flinch and then somebody calls for you to help. And then, yeah, <laughs> um, the only, uh, yes. Okay. So 501st, uh, knowledge here, TK421, uh, was the original, the guy, Alvin Johnson, who created 501st, that's his TK number, it's TK421, um, so Calvin Johnson's right about Mel Johnson. Sorry, uh, Blazing Saddles reference. <laughs> Howard Johnson's right about Melvin Johnson yeah. being right. <laughs> That's right. I love how shaggy some of these Imperial officers are, too. It's kind of fun. It's, like... it's the late 70s. Come, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised we don't see any more, more handlebar mustaches and whatnot here. But again, that's yeah. what they did so well in Rogue One was they they matched that, um, which was cool. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting because right now we're getting the scene where they're finding out how to deactivate the tractor beam from the Death Star. And of course, you're seeing all the plans and it's Obi-Wan's just kind of memorizing. Okay, here's what well, I'm doing. Here's... The original, and I have the VHS here. We can watch it mm-hmm. sometime. But the original does not have uh, C-3PO telling them where they can deactivate the... They don't have that dialogue. Mm-hmm. That was put in later, mm-hmm. I think in the special editions, actually. Um, but, uh, it was just the screen flashing up and Obi-Wan just watching. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Never threw me off as a kid, but yeah, that dialogue wasn't there. They had to, had to re, uh, cut it in. When, when he says the force will be with you always, that's, that, that that's a bit, a bit foreboding. <laughs> like I'm saying goodbye. In, in <laughs> yeah. retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> and Alan well, Guinness was shocked that he got killed off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually, that was a, uh, a a last minute change as well. But anyway, mm. um, yeah, this this scene actually, I don't know. I'm I'm having it. It obviously slows things down quite a bit because you know we don't have much to say about it. But um, but well, also, thinking, no, go ahead. Well, you know, you got the conflict, right, between the two, which you were talking about earlier, or how the, the two of these guys are constantly trying to one-up one another at this stage of things. And, uh, you know, there's that, that whole male uh, establishing the alpha thing going on. And uh, and so, like, it serves its purpose in that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, this this bit here where, you know, Luke starts trying to convince him, yeah, that's that's all good, but it's just seems to me that you've, you've just broken into the bank. The last thing you're going to do is go sit in the break room and talk about what you're going to do, you know, but neither here nor there. That's, it's, that's nitpicky crap. So, but, um, but also, I mean, it makes me realize that up until this point, Han is just, Han and Chewie are just a taxi ride. They're an Uber. That's their role. They're, yeah. they're on their underground illegal Uber. And that's why they're getting paid so much. And he doesn't know anything about the princess. He has no idea about the plans. This is all information that has to be shared at some point in order to get him and Chewie to come along for the ride. And this is where it's got to happen. And again, that you know, kind of like uh, much in the same way the scene at Ben's home was a great info dump. This is a less successful info dump, but because they're just trying to get things rolling again. Chewie... Uh getting ticked about the binders that hits harder after solo now yep because we just we were actually we were at Foberg um this weekend and there was a guy there with his german shepherd and it was sweet german shepherd he said the only thing is i said we asked can we pet her and pet him and he's like yeah so the only thing he doesn't like is he doesn't like his paws never liked his paws being touched because he was an abused dog and they used to the owners used to stomp on the paws and so i mean so chewbacca when we first see him in you know solo Solo. he's been bound and shackled and forced to fight so when luke goes to put those shackles on there's a lot of you know ptsd that comes to you know no he ain't doing it so that that gets harder i also feel like the the uh scenes in castle uh, were really impactful for him in that movie as well, where yeah. it's like uh, he sees his brethren imprisoned in, in that manner, and uh, that really got to him. 
By the way, the um, line here, uh, I can't see a thing in this helmet. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing. That's a, that's a thing. <laughs> now, now, my question is this. Do they have to design all the 501st helmets to not seeing those things either in order to be true movie quality? Well, I mean, it's just you yeah. have no peripheral vision at all. All you can or you can't see below you. You all you can just see is straight ahead. Um, so how do they get those guys all to march in unison, or how to run around shooting at stuff? That's a good. You know, maybe that'd be a question if you ever get a at a convention or if we ever get somebody who was in one of these movies as a stormtrooper. How the heck did you manage to shoot around and run around I love without how- helmet? I love how bumbling these guys are. They don't know what it's, you know, they're, they're, they stick out like sore thumbs because it's like, they, they don't know when the elevator is going to open. They don't know which side of the elevator door is going to open. You know, it's, it was just really well mapped out and played. And this is where I answer my own question from earlier. This is my favorite scene in the movie. Well, I like the one bit. It's like, we're all fine here. Everything's fine. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you for asking. How are you? <laughs> but like, Beyond that, like the comedic value is amazing, but um, and you know, you get your action and everything, um, but it's it's so um, you know, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, yeah, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, we're we're running around these weird looking metallic corridors with these red lights and we're shooting things and lasers are everywhere, and um, it's so campy. And I just freaking adore it on that level alone. Um, like this, this was not something that we we had our generation had really been exposed to. It was from mm-hmm. a different era, um, and George was sharing it with a younger audience. And um, God, I loved it. But can I also say, as somebody who has had a different perspective in some instances, this scene is extremely American. <laughs> you know we're gonna have we don't have a full plan you know coordinated we hope it's gonna work out and hey let's you know hey it sort of worked out but let, we're still kind of you know flying by the seat of our pants yay well like and again i love the the way that they build off of this scene this is where it starts right mm-hmm. okay have things go eh, sort of okay well, then we'll get ourselves into another situation based on this earlier situation that's even worse. And then we'll get into a, another situation that's even worse than that one. And and so, it you know, it's a classic movie trope. It's like every decision you make is wrong uh, to up the tension and up the uh, drama of the situation and, and the humor as well. Um But it just it just works for me, this whole stuff. And like it's sort of the one of the reasons I love it as much as I do is because it's in complete contrast to some of the serious themes that are underneath. Like we've talked about the, that George is critiquing the Vietnam war in this movie. You watch that scene beginning to end. Last thing you're going to be thinking about during any of that is the Vietnam war. And so it's like, he's just like camouflaged it so beautifully for me. And like, that's why I love it as much as I do. It's like, yeah, it's this goofy, light, fun, uh, you know, sequence, but not really. (laughs) Yeah. Because you know what it reminds me? It reminds me of everything from the dirty dozen to Kelly's heroes to mash. 
this is that this is this is a whole sequence that feels like something that uh, uh, Robert Altman would have directed in Mash, uh, only with shooting and robots and in space. Uh, but also, this also goes to the whole idea of the serial fiction of Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, which every episode was like, okay, we're going to give you ten minutes. The first couple is about resolving the last week's cliffhanger. The bulk of it is about getting them into another cliffhanger, and then, hey, it's a cliffhanger. Come back, pay your 10 cents, come back and see what happens next. By the way, I want to talk about something here real quick. So, mm -hmm. Princess Leia, from the get-go, is, pardon me, a bad... My monkey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, she was not a damsel in distress. She needed the door unlocked, you know, is what it is. And so watching the Andor trailer, Brittany and I were talking about that, I mean, the Lucasfilm is getting far more female representation in their movies, and and they're all butt Fierce. kickers. They're all butt kickers. Yeah. Um, and well, and that's so. I, I think that is. But like I said, Princess Leia, I, from the get go, you know, she is just just a great, great. They gave her the gun. Character. Like, yeah. that didn't happen. You don't give the girl the gun. Like, what are you doing? But, like, she but, took the freaking gun and she lit some people up. I mean, like, come on. Like, this is this is progressive for its time. And it's still progressive today, unfortunately. But you know also what I love? It took her all of 30 seconds to realize that these guys were out of their depth. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't take her no time at all to go, wait. What are you guys doing? Oh no, you're 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 ha you're having it all the way out too. You haven't really thought out your plan. Great. Okay, give me the gun. I'll sort this out for you, because somebody's got to be in charge, and neither one of you know what the heck you're doing. And I love that it didn't take her any time. She knows what's happening, <laughs> and and she resorts to coming up with a solution. By the way, this scene is where we start all of the uh, double entendres that you can use. <laughs> Um, so just, just, I won't repeat them because Dave will probably want to edit it out, but there's a lot of starting here. And then when they find the millennium Falcon, there's plenty of double entendres that just make 12 year old Aaron giggle. Um, so, um, what did we think of this sequence? I think this made a big impression on me when I was younger. Um, well, it's, it, it's out of the frying pan into the fire, you know, it's yep. just, it's it's a big poker game. You know, they're it's you talk about being they're in over their heads as it was, but they just keep getting, you know, more in knee deep and crap. You know, pardon me. Mm -hmm. um, well, well, but what's interesting is you know none of the you know the cement or uh, the Star Wars nerds that get all near you know detail or anything go like, well, why didn't the stormtroopers realize they don't that? Didn't they see the hole that they shot and fell into? It's like nobody questions that. Nobody cares. It's you realize that maybe that's why the walls started compressing in. Again, yeah. but the point is, you don't need. It doesn't need an explanation. It doesn't need to. You go. Oh yes, they found and they realized this, and they decided to slowly kill them that way. I don't think the empire works that far, that way. But still. By the way, this is one is, of the only times that Han calls Luke by his first name. Instead of kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah like the, is gone. 
the 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 facade cracks here yeah where they're in when genuine danger and luke is in actual trouble he yeah he's like oh god this kid out of this situation but yeah I, you know that made an impression on me when like he gets pulled under by this creature that you can't see the imagination just runs so, wild so fredo and i were at uh reginelli's is you and i brit playing mm -hmm. star wars trivia um yep and uh there was a question here said what was the number on the hatch of the trash compactor and I wrote down the yeah, three two six three eight two seven. Wrote it down, handed it in, and the trivia person came up to me and said, "How did you know that?" <laughs> and what's funny is that the very first Star Star Wars convention I went to at Bennett Martin Library in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, they had Star Wars trivia, and that was one of the questions. And my friend Ed and I, we were, you know, I guess this was right before Jedi came out, so we weren't ten yet. And, um, oh, here comes the bonk Don't. of the head. Don't. Um, but, uh, you know, that was one of the questions and we looked at each other going, how did they know? Because the whole crowd just went three, two, six, three, eight, two, seven. It's like, how did they know that? So that stuck with me forever. Um, I'm glad that they've left in the head bonking. I'm not so glad that they made Django bump his head in episode two to show that it's somehow genetic. It's kind of har har, but you know anyway well and that's just it it's 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 a small little error that didn't need to be acknowledged but it's just it's in there and it's fun so sometimes you kind of have to live with that kind of things because you know you shot it it's in the can you're not going to go rebuild the set to take one little moment out plus here's what's interesting it's a moment that doesn't take away from the stress of what we're seeing next which is our heroes slowly getting crushed alive uh but it was so but it worked fine it was it was a moment and that's it it didn't need to be more than that i think they caught george on a good day with that too because with like he he's he tinkers and he changes things so much he must have had a good sense of humor about that particular moment because they've they've emphasized it they've added how a sound you, effect and how would you love to be the guy who was the one that bonked his head in the in <laughs> a new hope i mean there are multiple guys that were claiming to be that yeah. guy, if I remember. Yeah. By the way, I this was is... the guy that bonked my head. No, it was me. This is one. Of, <laughs> this is one of my favorite bits. Here is when, you know, he finally turns on C three PO. Finally turns on the comm link, and then when they get the trash compactor to stop, and he's like, "Listen to them, R two. They're dying." It's like that's just that's just a funny moment. I mean. Mm -hmm. And again, it's what Kirshner, Irvin Kirshner said about Empire. He said, I needed humor without gags. Right. And that's what they did well in this movie. They did well in Empire. They, they put gags in the prequels and they put gags in the sequels. And that's, I guess, they should have, you know, they should have studied their Star Wars a little bit more, you know, because that's what we're talking about. It's like, I still laugh every time, you know, curse my metal body. I wasn't fast enough. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's hilarious, but it's not stepping in do back poo. So, no, it, it works with the scene. It works or with an EOP what's going farting on. in his face yeah. or there you go. Three to six, three, eight to seven. <laughs> and Obi-Wan just, nobody apropos. sees if I'm what? sorry, if I walk down a hallway and I see somebody like, 
walking down the hall. I'm turning on who's that dude. But anyway, go ahead. Who's that guy? <laughs> nah, but he's using like, his Jedi Jedi cloaking ability or something. I don't know. Um, nobody can see him because he's so sneaky. Um, I was just going to mention, like, every time that I stand up during the course of this this movie to get myself some more popcorn, uh, my lightsaber uh, starts making a sound at me. So I just thought that was interesting. It, it, it's Is that like another it double entendre or? No, 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 no. <laughs> the Kyber crystal's connecting. Yes. By yes. the way, uh, so they, it's special edition thing, they put in the arabesque. It used to say tractor beam in English, mm-hmm. but uh, like this, I, I've always loved this scene too. I might have to change. This might be my favorite scene, Dave. Um, first of all, with Chewie acting like the scared dog, but then Han and Chewie chasing stormtroopers down the hallway. I think I think that actually is my favorite scene. I take it back. We're not quite there that. yet, but I kind of lump all of this in. You know, again, we talk about going into the frying pan, <laughs> jumping out of the frying pan into the fire, and then jumping from the fire into a lava pit or something. Sorry, <laughs> I got I got way ahead of myself. It's not that quite that. Yeah, yet. but it just gets worse and worse and worse. But again, like they they give you the um the tension release with the humor, which right. in that moment is just it's amazing because you never would expect him to do that, but it's perfectly in character. And I think that's the key is, you know, the humor is coming from their clash of their characters and it's not being forced. It's, yeah, obviously Princess Leia would want to take charge. She's take charge kind of person. Han Solo, it's like, I don't listen to anybody but myself. Conflict. And because they're the good guys, that's kind of conflict's going to, you know, devolve into somewhat humorous conflict. But it's there and it's the seeds of their relationship. Like, you came, yeah, you know, you're braver than I thought. Yeah, yeah. All right, here's here's the scene, yeah, where they go chasing the stormtroopers. Um, Did you need to add the old hangar at the end, or is that, you know, that, that was a change for the uh, special know, edition? Okay, so that was, that was in, that's interesting, um, because I always thought it hit well the way it was, mm-hmm. but a friend of mine, when this came out, I've never heard him laugh harder when you turn you see tie fighters and a gazillion stormtroopers um so it, it must have it i think it did add something i just again i think the execution was kind of bad because they all look like cardboard standees but um i think the effect got better since 97 i think the first time i saw it in 97 at a theater you could totally tell that they were like copy paste copy paste copy paste i think they went back and they've improved on the on the on the background of it so it left feels more organic so star wars uh science continues to um elude me that apparently if you blast the door controls it locks it and if you blast the door controls it will open the door um so <laughs> but you can only blast it once so know what you're trying to do but was that a wilhelm scream yes it was yeah. indeed it was <laughs> But by the way, so was if it people Spielberg? don't know if people don't know what that is, they should Google it. Go Google the Wilhelm scream because you will hear it everywhere else afterwards. But so was that George's contribution in Raiders, or was that Steven thinking, "No, I got to put it in my movie too"? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> both. Both. Yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. 
they both got that sense of humor. Nay, brotherly sisterly kiss. Indeed. Right? And nothing else. And nothing else. That's what we're going with. But that's just it. It's in part, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, because, you know, 1977, her giving him a kiss on the cheek is like, okay, it's whatever. It didn't mean anything, right? I don't know. I don't know. The only people who kissed me on the cheek in 1977 was probably my mom and sister, so I suppose, you know. I like this little ad in right here Mm -hmm. where they had the, you know, where the stormtroopers go, you know, close the blast doors and then they open the blast doors you know because originally it was just open the blast doors mm-hmm. so by adding that one little line okay it's a little bit of a gag but it you know it, it pumped it up here a little bit made it funnier and here we get to scene 38 and i'm sorry i am going to take issue with anybody and if one of you two guys or one of these people who say that obi-wan's lightsaber fizzling out part way through this is a is symbolism for his powers weakening uh, you're you're full of crap so anyway are you one of those people Fredo? <laughs> no no i was just gonna say that's a that double a little bit of it i was yeah it's a big double entendre there but exactly exactly I, it drives me crazy with people because it's it's like no it was bad special effects bad it was hurry up at the end of the movie and they missed something if you want to try to tell yourself that it's obi-wan you know it's okay so it could be both right because i think it is both um because i think that it was originally bad special effects but like it's now ingrained in the dna of the movie wherein it looks like it's a saber having issues um they they the way that they quote unquote fixed some of the effects here was to make it look like the, the saber is fizzling out a little and that's intentional that's completely intentional again L- lucas may not have felt in 77 no, they, made it, they made it look better than it was in 77 mm-hmm. they didn't make it look more like it was fizzling out i'll play the vhs i mean because that yeah, what yeah. we just saw there it looked better it looked more like a lightsaber um, even in even in 97 i remember thinking they did not touch that up now the the big controversy, as we're getting close here, first of all, I I like the, what people have talked about in this moment when Obi-Wan sees Luke and Leia together. That hits now. And, um, and of course, it probably should have, you know, well, I guess it's more so since Kenobi. But, mm-hmm. okay, so here's the big controversy. Did Obi-Wan go poof into the force after being sliced by the um, lightsaber or before the lightsaber hits him because chicken and egg well people think well every other every other jedi dies and then goes to the force that's what's going on here and mm-hmm. it's again because it's 1977 special effects yeah okay so the robe might start to drop a little bit if you're going frame by frame but i don't know that's uh, people are really serious about this about um you know that obi-wan just gave himself up to the force before vader could slice him down well let's think about it this way when the only other character that we see pass away into the force actually you know in the original trilogy at least is yoda 
and he gives himself into the force and disappears. Well, he and then died. we see Luke. He died, huh? then he became one with the force. Well, what about Luke in Last Jedi then? Luke died. Die? He died no, and then he... then went to the force. So in other words, it's died then one with the yeah, force. Yeah, that not... I mean you you don't sorry, okay, for those if if, if if we're all if we're all of believing folks, it's like I can't just like, hey, I'm deciding now I'm just gonna go to heaven. I gotta die and then my soul goes wherever it's gonna go. I just can't send my soul someplace. So eh, anyway, we're maybe getting a little bit well, no. too deep here, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, but it gets to a, but it gets to a point of saying, okay, if the difference is a few seconds, does it really matter? That's what well, you know. now here's the fun. The funner question is: uh, Anakin does not uh, fade into the Force, but then appears as a Force ghost, whereas Kylo. Oh, I have issues. I have, I have issues then... with both those. <laughs> um, I, you know, one thing, one little detail that we skipped over with that scene is uh, uh, Obi Wan referring to Vader as Darth, yeah. like as if that's his first name there. And yeah. that's a great little detail that they put into Obi Wan uh, late in their confrontation in that series. He calls him Darth. Um, as if to say like you're you're just not part you're not the man that i knew mm -hmm. anymore uh you're more machine now than man yeah and uh and and that rhymes with this scene and makes this scene work even better now do you think uh do you think lucas made it harder on himself by in the prequels by having Darth Maul and Darth Sidious and Darth Tyrannus. That there's a little bit, yeah. I mean, yeah, instead really of just having Darth Vader, you could have just then had you could have just had Maul and Sidious, and you know, by making it a title, um, I don't. Know. I think you wanted you yeah, because I think that's part of this idea of giving lore of give, kind of like we were saying, you know, the exposition scene in Ben's is giving you all this history. It's the same idea. It's the same concept in, uh, in essence. Oh, the Darth, it's a title of the Door Lords of the Sith. But then again, I mean, everybody calls Darth Vader Lord Vader from the Empire side. Really, I'm trying to struggle. No, this, the only person who actually says Darth Vader completely is Ben. Well, and Leia. And Leia, yeah. Darth Vader, only you could be so bold, yeah. yeah. Right, so you didn't technically need to do that, but he chose to do it. Uh I do yeah it, it it feels incongruous now just because you know it you know sorry you know yeah. what feels incongruous is that in rogue one we send a whole like gazillion tie fighters after the rebel fleet and here they send four <laughs> <laughs> but um well maybe because they had just sent all those to fight in jet and uh and a jedi and um Scarif, maybe they were low on on. Uh, they were low on the, Tie Fighters. They were low yeah, on that's Tie true. Fighters. Maybe they're all in the shop. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like how Vader is using the the trick that he learned from the third sister here by tracking the. Uh... Of course, here's the thing. Um, the tracker is on the Falcon. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is again, this has been a meme that's gone around for a long time. It's like it's on the Falcon, and is like you know is this how they i know they use probe droids to find them on hoth but theoretically they could be tracking the unless maybe they maybe they went digging for and found the tracker 
but um, must have, yeah. that's how the empire got to cloud city before you know um the falcon they figured out where they were going um so. nah that was all boba fett man that's true that's yeah true. he figured out their course and let them know uh gotta give boba his due yeah and here you're gonna get the big tough macho guy against macho guy standoff over the girl yep which is funny again this is ew he's really into her that's gross oh no but han solo's shirt is uncomfortably low cut <laughs> I, I i can't stand wearing v-necks I, i'm surprised just to... neither did i yeah it's uh i guess because you, if you grew up with him in the 80s you just eh. yeah i like this you suppose a girl and a guy like me no <laughs> anyway um no when every girl's going like yeah whatever whatever look sit down hon let's go it's a very nice treat to get to go back to uh yavin four in uh rogue one mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i thought they did a really nice job with that um well and it makes sense from a from a story standpoint of okay this is the quote-unquote hidden rebel base so we should be going there and uh it's interesting how hard they work to make it fit within the framework of um, of uh, Rogue One to replicate all these sets and the uh, uniforms and everything else. They make sure to make it look as close as possible so that you could go from that movie to this movie and not feel like there had been that much of a difference. That's a lot of dudes standing at attention in the background of that previous scene. They were just standing there like... We need By the way, that wanna... many dudes standing there, because because uh, R two starts beeping here. If you anybody listening to this, what you need to do after you get done here is you need to go on YouTube and find R two D two subtitles, because <laughs> that is is just hilarious. Um, by the way, um, watching the uh, the Vice Network uh, icons on Earth, Marsha Lucas says that um, originally. The Death Star was not coming to blow up Yavin Four. Mm -hmm. I mean, so they make their run on they make their run on the Death Star, and um, but they said we needed a ticking clock, so that's why you had you know the Rebel base will be yeah. in range in two minutes. So they that was all a last minute ad to add more tension. And again, I guess I don't. That's why I, that 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 special i'm thinking that it's kind of bs because it's like i mean tarkin and vader they put a tracker so they could go find the rebel base what do you think right. they're gonna do they're gonna go down and just you know have a pot tea and luck, crumpets you know tea and crumpets yeah no uh yeah but i'm trying to think again thinking back to that first draft of the star wars i think i mean yeah when you get to the point where there's an assault on the on the Death Star, it's not, there is no ticking time clock. So yeah, it, may, it would make sense that they would add it later on. I mean, you're, you're getting to the last bit of this movie. Hey, it's fake And wedge. you need to up the stakes. Yeah, you need to up the stakes. And, you know, for, our, you know, Princess Leia has been saved, but not really. Luke My has been saved, but not really. 
my my wife just pointed out something that always bothers me about that scene is the pronunciation of Princess Leah, yes. Princess Leah, and uh, you know what's funny about that is I think it was Lucas who recently commented on that, which was like I'm not going to tell you how to pronounce anything. This is what he said to his actors because he said they'll pronounce things differently in different parts of the galaxy, which I think is hilarious. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's like. Yeah, that's kind of true. Like people are gonna mangle your name if they're if they're not familiar with it. Like like Gladow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, because you got Han and Han. Yeah. Falcon and you Falcon. get all that. You get Han and Han Han. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, what are they paid? Okay, I see the boxes that they're getting paid their ward in. What's in there? Is it just credits or is it like? Is this the original yeah. camp? Is this what the original Camtender would have looked like if? Uh, I'm sure he's got. Uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of supplies and a lot of. He got money and you know, the most awkward thing though in this whole movie is when Han Solo says, "Hey Luke, may the Force be with you." That yeah, it's Force. That's uh, that's just. Again, it's forced. It, it, yeah, he. Sh it should have said, "Hey, Luke," and then Luke should have turned. He just should have just kind of left it at just kind of a nothing. But having Han at that point say, "May the Force be with you," is just it doesn't work yet. Well, that's you know? the point, right? He's saying that to try to make his friend happy and less mad at him, but it's it's superficial. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's just words. Yeah, because it's interesting because, I mean, and, and Leia's got a good read on Han regarding his motivations and whatnot. But Han, you know, Luke is also, I mean, this is where their force abilities kind of come in. They're both good about sensing and reading what's going on underneath. Like Leia knows that Luke needs reinforcement, but she's also telling him, you can't force Han to do this. He's got to be willing to do this. And meanwhile, Luke is like, I know you want to do this. Why, why are you not coming along? So, And hey, I did love this addition for Biggs, this moment right here, because it helps in when later on, when, you know, his death, it actually goes, okay. Yep. You know, you didn't have to read the novelization to know that that was his buddy from tattooing. You know, what's good that they left out was that originally Red Leader was supposed to say mm -hmm. how he knew Luke's father. He knew yep. Anakin. And yep. so that would, uh, yeah, that's, it's good. Yeah, that they somebody that walk out. in front of him to cut that moment out. Yeah. It's, it's brutal though. Like when you like, like this guy's marked for death. <laughs> we'll conquer the world. Luke, they'll yeah. never stop us. <laughs> oh, I got one You're week dead. to retirement. Luke, I'm retiring in one week. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> and my wife is pregnant, Luke. And I just got to come back. <laughs> so, it's like, start hitting all the cliches. That just, you know, uh, the, and I, I get it that they're in a hangar, but this is the one, it's it's very, this whole sequence is very unsettling. It's how dark it is. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it just from from a visual aspect, it just, everything else, it, it, I don't know, it's like they forgot to do the map painting. By but necessity, also, they weren't they weren't as advanced as they were in the next two movies. So like he's like, well, we got to cover this up and we got to cover that up. So let's just make this super dark. I'm I'm guessing 
like I'm not 100% sure, but I'm guessing that's it. Mm -hmm. But also what's interesting is you're going to get repeats of this moment in the following movies, in all of them. The scene of all the heroes running to the ships, getting on board and racing up into battle. That's, mm -hmm. that, that comes from that 1950s war movie aesthetic of the boys going off to battle. Maybe nuts. Not all of them are going to come back. That that uh, was very involved with all the World War II movies that Lucas grew up with. Another uh, special edition ad is the approach to the Death Star here. I, th I thought mm -hmm. it was good. thought yeah. that was a, a good aesthetic choice. Um, Porkins. <laughs> I think them punching up any of these scenes here with the Death Star were ultimately good decisions. Uh, regardless of how successful they were. So um, I, I have to tell you real quick, though, one of the cool things uh, from the ILM deal, when they're coming down into the trench, it's model, 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 and then there's going to be one blast, one flash, mm -hmm. that then it's that's what they, they put that in there to shift to matte painting. So watch it when they go into the trench. It's, oh uh, yeah, when they do the flash, I, I know so what you're talking about. Here we here we come. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh. Da, 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 go on, come on, come on. Not, come on. No, because okay. this isn't when they're going to the trench. This is when they're heading down to the Death Star. By the way, uh, what's I gonna say? You know that the Death Star trench run is not along the equatorial trench, right? Yeah, actually, yeah, I, I, yeah, I okay. think I'd read that. Yeah, I'm it's geeky a, enough it's... to know. <laughs> Because everybody always thinks it's running along the center of the Death Star. No, it's it's in the northern uh, hemisphere of the Death Star. That's where the, the trench run takes place. Yeah, but the, the flash is kind of obvious, though, as, as a cutoff point. But mm -hmm. I did not know that, that the reason that it existed was to transition from effects to yeah, map it's really And again, no. maybe it was the ILM thing. Maybe it was the Vice um special i don't know but it is really cool um mm -hmm. because again kind of what we're saying they were using all the techniques all the techniques. they were using the latest and greatest and they were using the well, classics it, there's models, a reason why there, there's a reason why magic is in the name industrial light and magic i mean they're they're doing sleight of hand you know basically mm -hmm. but in a version a digital virtual visual level where you're like okay Right now, this is a model, and then this is going to be a matte painting, and this is going to be a, a live effect, and there's something we punch up in the computer. Yeah, because, for example, all these explosions along the Death Star, that was, what was it, somebody in a pickup truck running alongside? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Darth Vader's TIE Fighter was one of the coolest things mm -hmm. ever. Because um, after seeing all these TIE Fighters, then to see one that stands out was really... I didn't make sense from a character standpoint that Anakin Skywalker was like, no, I'm modding my own stuff. <laughs> You're he not was, giving me a standard issue. He's the one modder in the in the Empire, and that's why he, he wrecked so much shop here at the, at the end, was because he was the modder in the bunch. Of course. He was going to be the one guy who's like, no, 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 I don't deal in standard issue. I customize my own stuff. <laughs> and if you don't like it, I'll force choke you. And <laughs> Okay, so while okay, but well, now he's gonna be getting into his ship. But all right, let's let's talk just very quickly. Coolest game from the '80s. One of them has to be the Star Wars game that you got to sit mm -hmm. in the cockpit and do yes. the Death Star run. As crappy of graphics run. as it is, that is just 
It was just awesome. Uh, Shelby's Pizza used to have it down here in Anamattery, and that was my favorite game to go play and just jump in on and be like, because, yeah, you got to sit on the cockpit and, yeah, you're going down the trench run. And yeah, the good thing is they they hid their technological limitations by copying the computer graphics from the this movie, yeah. which is the easiest way to hide. It's like, no, no, we're not cheap or we're not enabled to render better graphics. It's We're copying the style of the movie. The thing about the trench run, too, is like it wasn't just limited to that. It's like just this, it's, again, I'll use the word iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember that, like they, they, they occasionally riff on that in other TV mm-hmm. shows and movies and things. And it was just like, I think it's thing. coming up. Eric. Here we go. Here we go. Here we there. go. Model, you got model, it? flash right yep. there. Yeah. The flash. Yep. And, um, I, I, I think star tours when I first read the star tours, like back in the eighties or, um, late eighties, when I first read star tours, it was like that. It was, we're going to the trench run. <laughs> <laughs> and that was impactful that was a big deal um it show up at like all kinds of tv shit like muppet babies i think like you know it was everywhere um and it was just it was gosh i still get goosebumps um at the end of this um and a lot of that's john williams mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but again the world building uh some of the dialogue and acting and um the way they set it up again like one of the things that gets underrated is that you can understand what's going on and we talk about that why one of the reasons that rogue one's space battles work as well as they do is you're like i can i can follow the logic this group is trying to take out the shield etc and like here the logic is of it is really easy to understand you got to fly down this trench Avoid the fighters. You got to hit the target. You're racing for the goal line. Yeah. yeah. And you're trying not to get tackled. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the way, apparently uh, in the original draft, uh, Luke makes two approaches in the trench. He misses the first time, then goes back because he uses the computer. Then he goes back and then Ben tells him to use the force and then he doesn't use the computer. Um, So he gets another, in other words, he gets another shot. He gets another shot. Yeah. Um, Like a men in tights. Yeah. They read the script. But by the way, they said they said they had about thirty ships, and we've only seen about, a, yeah, maybe five or six get blowed up. So I guess the others were kind of, because by this point it's down to the last six, right? There's the yeah, two that he, go with Red Leader, and there's uh, Wedge, Biggs, and Luke. Correct, yeah. or am I missing somebody? No, no. That might be it. That might be it. Yeah, they say it's about thirty Rebel ships, but. Yeah, by this point, you know that they're down whatever. To, I, yeah, they're uh, down to there the might last. there might be a dogfight, you know, a diversion. Maybe a group is a diversion, you know, mm-hmm. to get you know fighters away from the trench. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. How many ships fly away from the Death Star at the very end? Uh, three. You see any? Uh, you two. See three? Uh, you see the yeah, Falcon. You... you see a Y wing, and you see an X wing. Two X wings, Wedge and uh, Luke. All right, well. So, yeah, and it's always been like, I know that there's a name for the Y-Wing pilot, just don't ask me for it right now. Well, that is one of the things, again, like, I I understand the idea behind it, which is like with this small band of rebels against an overwhelming force, um, 
so you you sort of get why they're like <laughs> you can count on one hand how many ships are left um but you never really get a good sense of how many tie fighters there are mm-hmm. um and again it seems like there's too few tie fighters um but again maybe they're all in the shop or whatever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it kind of goes bad but it kind of goes to a point of you know the hubris of the empire it's like you know we have such overwhelming forces first of all there's no you know there's no way we're not gonna not gonna win this and then when they start going out to single numbers like well we got this we're good we're good you know we had the moment where the subordinate walks up to Tarkin it's like yeah we we think there might be a problem here you want to evacuate and he's like what the heck are you talking about we're not gonna lose here so right up until the very end they thought they had it in the bag they were the Atlanta Falcons of the galaxy. They reuse that same shot with the yep. going to the flash again. Now you can't unsee it, right? Um, no. Yeah, it's matte painting and then into the model. Um, it, yeah, I mean, think of uh, just this is so it's so simple as well because all you're doing is it's speed and proximity, you know, mm-hmm. by making it and, and having that closed having walls you know the stuff that's happening above the death star is not as intense as the stuff that's in the trench and they were talking about that it's like they're saying riding your motorcycles through you know these canyons and it always made it feel like you're going faster and so that's why it was in a trench um so and and john williams's score gets more and more intense more pressing it's it's almost like everything's kind of you know building and building and building so you know for some reason, you know, you're just sitting there, and for some reason, your heart starts racing. You're like, "Why is it all that?" Because everything's giving you a sense Except of propulsion. As, well, we've got the we got the sound off, but the score is actually out for a long time until Red Leader dies. Then you mm-hmm. get this horn lick that is really really cool, and that's then I think when the orchestra when Biggs gets shot, the score yeah. comes. Mm-hmm. No, not when Biggs is when Red Leader uh, dies, and you get. Uh, oh yeah. The little horn yeah rack. and then the score comes in uh-huh. and then it builds and builds and builds and this is when it starts getting like intense mm-hmm. um and you know you have the the moment with with obi-wan use the force when the oh but what about the, the score just soars you know after Speaking watching of which... after watching you know the prequels and the clone wars and seeing darth vader shoot r2d2 yeah. Uh, By the way, you were huge. asking. This is my favorite mo- scene in this movie. Oh yeah. Like I said, the music, the moment. I still got memories of seeing that as a kid. It's always in my, the back of my head. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Anakin shooting his own droid in the back of the head. Talk about fall from grace i like these two guys looking at each other like can you believe this guy he turned off we're screwed he turned off is there a shuttle out of here that we can take we're gonna die (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna die he turned off his targeting computer we're all gonna die (laughs) but again you know the tension the tension now is building because now Princess Leia's in danger, C-3PO's in danger, Luke is in danger, and you're like, okay, how are they going to get out of this? It's that serialized effect ratcheting up to its utmost point, which is why when you get to this moment, people apparently actually cheered in theaters 
The true hero of the story arrives. The scoundrel <laughs> himself. And uh, by the way, this shot here of Vader spinning around, that was a last minute thing as well. Lucas went to ILM and said, we got to make sure that it's clear that Vader gets away. So it's spinning around then when he straightens out and flies away. Yeah. See, uh, two, two X-Wings and a Y-Wing. Yeah. So who's the freaking Y-Wing? That's what we need to know, right? That's the mystery. There's an answer. Yeah, hold on. Let me see if I can look somebody, it up. Cause... Somebody knows it out there. Like, and what was the Y wing doing during all this? He was like doing strafing runs, or I mean, just come on. See, got to make sure that we see that Vader gets away. Where he flies to, who knows? But he's got to be doing donuts, <laughs> looking for smell a like leathery burnt bacon. <laughs> um, <laughs> and. Um, I will still, I'll go to my grave to say that no, Mark Hamill did not say Carrie here. So many people say he says Carrie and he doesn't. He says, hey. Yeah, but people will fight you over that saying, no, it's, a, it's, it's a one of those flubs from the movie that he said Carrie and they left it in. And it's like, no, he didn't. So... So the answer to the question, according to Wikipedia, is Yvonne Verlaine, who's not physically seen in Star Wars Episode Four, but confirmed in later sources as the Y-Wing pilot who survives the attack on the Death Star. There we go. Mystery solved, I guess. Yeah, so, they, they, right. they had to invent somebody. Has anybody ever answered why Chewbacca didn't get a medal? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, there's racism, but but seriously, somebody's got to be sitting in the in the dailies or something and say, we have three people walking down. And so why is it only if if he's not going to get his medal, then why doesn't Chewbacca just stay back in the green room? I think in part, I think in part, because the whole point of this scene is to juxtapose, you know, it's the end of the movie and juxtapose the two. uh contenders for the hand of princess leia i mean maybe if she put a medal on chewie's neck you know hey it would have been three guys you know know, going for her but you know and we know that none of them had you know none of the humans stood a chance but on a uh, subconscious level i've always sort of read it that way like yeah they're both still fighting over her hand in this moment and they're both fighting for her attention and uh, and and that sort of conveys that, but yeah, there's no real good reason for them to not give him a medal. I mean, it's ridiculous. One of the one of the one of the things I'm most happy about that I have is that I have an autographed R2D2 action figure by Kenny Baker. So nice, um, yeah. Um, by the way, that that the other thing I will say though is just from the standpoint of. Uh, the metal and chewy i don't necessarily like that it's big, that it became such a big deal to the point that they had to shoehorn that moment in oh, rise yeah. of skywalker like it's it's fine that it you know it's not fine that it didn't get you know he didn't get a medal in 1977 you need to come back and retcon it later and on the, down the and line. the it's fact fine. and then the fact that leia couldn't be the one to give it to him then it should have just been an idea to stay on the shelf but jj was just out to do all the stuff um 
so I guess I we talked about what makes this movie you know hit harder now and I've said it a couple times I think everybody you need to go watch Empire of Dreams you need to watch the stuff on ILM um, you, you need to watch you know any any of the behind the scenes stuff so you can see like I said how this movie should not have ever been released it should mm-hmm. not have been as good as it was and so if you're not up on all that history um like I said, it'll make this movie hit harder for you I, I mean i think so and i mean i know i've always been against doing the summer reading but um that's it's it's such a story such a story um I think like looking at some of the influences is just super helpful too, because you understand like how he was able to sort of like blend all of this together in a coherent way that works is really sort of remarkable. I just like the Joseph Campbell influences, the Kurosawa, um, the Flash Gordon stuff, you know, it's just, it's like, how are you going to put all that together and, and make it make sense? But he did that. Um, and I think those are the kinds of things that make me think like, like just marvel at it. Um, it's, it's my favorite movie. Um, no, I mean like bar none. When anybody asks me, what's your favorite movie? It's, it's yeah. this, this is my answer. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, it, but again, it's nothing against the other movies you, you um, because put... they build on this in an intelligent way, but this is just so groundbreaking. And, and you know? everything had to, all the pieces had to be there because again, I still, when you look at who could have been in the roles of Luke Han and Leia, if you didn't have John Williams doing the music, if you didn't have Ben Burt doing the sound, you know, mm-hmm. it, there's so much of that, that, I mean, because the story is nothing new. I mean, let's be honest. The story is nothing new. What happened is that you're transported to, you know, for the you're just you're just transported away from you know what was normal and but yeah if all those things if you just have stock music if you just have you know if you have christopher walken as han solo yeah it's you know i I don't think it's gonna work and and i think i mean in some ways and it's always interesting because you know kind of the sliding doors aspect of this it became such a hit and such a milestone and such a touchstone for the generation that it couldn't help but change the course of George Lucas's life. But you think about it from the standpoint of, had it been like a modest hit, not, not the massive thing it became, it could have, he could have just left it at that. He could have said, I've completed everything, you know, gone on to direct uh, whatever he wanted to do next. You know, he could have been like Spielberg making another movie that would have been a hit, another movie that would have been a hit. It wouldn't necessarily have been, it would have been a different course of action and the movie would still be good. That's, that's the interesting thing. It is self-contained. It is perfect as is. You, you could watch everything else that's come after that has the Star Wars name on it and be happy. Or you can watch just this, watch nothing else and be satisfied with what's in here. Well, that was fun. That was fun. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of my favorite movies. So, yeah, you know, it is my favorite movie, like Dave said. Uh, but uh, I, I just never get sick of watching it. So let us know what you think of A New Hope. Anything that we missed, we didn't talk about, let us know on Twitter, or on Facebook, stuff like that. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Um, 
programming note though uh there won't be an episode at the end of august because fredo's going somewhere and i'm going somewhere and and dave doesn't want to do a solo act so uh <laughs> but uh so we'll we will take a week off at the end of august and then be back you know right after labor day um but we've got more episodes before that so i guess plenty of time for us to say who dat who dat and everybody have a great week Bacanque.